promotions, salary, all of that will come down the road. Don't push for that because when the right opportunity comes, it'll come at the right time. Do what you can in the moment that you're in to absorb as much as you can. For me, that, that I think is key because our industry is very complicated. You know, it's not black and white. It's very fluid. Things do change. So the more you know, the more it'll make it easier for you to, to be successful and to feel more comfortable in your roles. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to have Saeed Heikel, the General Manager of Faina Hotel, Miami Beach and District. Saeed, welcome to the show. Steve, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for taking the time today. I'm excited to you know, have this conversation and hope to kind of share some of my story with the audience. Well, I'm excited to get into your story because I love your journey of the places you've been. You've worked at some of the best hotels in the world. But we always start this podcast with the first job that you ever had in hospitality. What was that? It was the front desk and PBX agent position at the Ritz Carlton South Beach. So, wow. you know, it was my first entrance into the industry yeah. and having previous experience in advertising, retail, different career choices, moving back and forth, but somehow landed at the Ritz-Carlton South Beach. And funny enough, the first time they saw my resume, they TV and TV me. So, you know, I had to follow up with them and luckily was brought in for an interview. Wow. And it was quite an experience. You know, I think the Ritz-Carlton South Beach was, you know, a 375 room hotel was extremely busy and coming in with the Ritz-Carlton training and onboarding really provided a strong passion for the industry. You know, I think when, when they try to onboard their team members, they spend a lot of time, you know, focusing on the training and immersing and, you know, the Ritz-Carlton values. And, you know, I think that to me really got me excited about the industry. And originally my focus was to get into sales and marketing. So I wanted to be a director of sales and marketing. That's why I came in. So that's why you started in hotels or were you doing something before you got into hotels? Well, I had always studied marketing and, you know, business and did sales and, so coming into the industry, I figured that would be potentially my route. You know, I, I looked at director of sales and marketing and, and kind of set that as the goal. And I remember, you know, within a few months, like about four or five months, uh, the corporate office of Ritz-Carlton, which is in Coconut Grove, opened up a sales coordinator position. I was speaking to someone about the role and was given the opportunity either to be front office supervisor or to go into the sales role. And at the time, I didn't feel like I'd, I'd, I gained as much experience as I needed. Uh, so I chose to stay at the front office and, you know, transitioned into that supervisory role, slowly started understanding payroll and scheduling and, you know, the back end of it and, and service. And then, you know, again, another opportunity came down the road and they offered me a sales manager position. And at the same time, my general manager said, if you want to stay in operations, we have an, an assistant front office manager position available. Oh, wow. I had, I had that. And people always refer back to that fork in the road that made me choose operations or sales and marketing. And I remember I had to consult with one of my mentors, you know, Marco Salva, who was also working at the Ritz at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he provided some very inspiring direct 
feedback. And, and at that point, that's when I chose to stay in operations. And I well, took- well, can you share what that feedback was? Cause that seems to be a big piece. <laughs> well, funny enough, I, and I remember it to this day and, and he actually shares a story as well, but you know, I sat in his office in Coconut Grove. I actually wanted to go pay him a visit and I sit in his office and I tell him my, my two options and, and what I was thinking. And he said, listen, Said, if you want to live a very exciting lifestyle, you know, you get to travel the world, you get to meet clients, you get paid very well, and you live a good life, go towards sales and marketing. He goes, if you want to be underpaid, overworked, never spend another holiday with your family, but eventually get to where I am today, he goes, then you stay in operations. And I was like, there you have it. I walked out of his office already knowing the decision I was going to make, and and I took the sacrifice. And, and I remember at the Ritz-Carlton, actually, I think the first six years of my career, I worked every New Year's Eve on the overnight. Wow. So for me, the sacrifice, it wasn't about the holidays. It was really about, you know, the experience, the being there with the team, you know, kind of sharing in that time, because that's really what's exciting. I mean, I enjoy being with the team. I enjoy being around the team members, you know, supporting them however we can, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, we're here for the team. We have to be there to support them to guide them, to develop them. And that to me is the most exciting part of the job. It's now that's what drives me to continue doing what I'm doing. I love it. It's an addiction, right? It's kind of an addiction you start getting when you it have is. all the action happening, especially right. on these big days and holidays at a world-class right. hotel in Miami beach. Sure. I Absolutely. can understand that completely. I used to love doing it before I had my wife and kids. That's when it made it a little more challenging. Right. I can imagine, but I loved, I missed that, that rush of that adrenaline. So you're at the Ritz Carlton and I always ask this of our Ritz-Carlton guests. Do you still bleed that Ritz-Carlton blue and gold? Like, do you know the credo by head, by memory still? Or is that... You know, I gonna... still know the majority of it. And I think the Ritz-Carlton definitely created a great system, you know, a great, like the base of the entire industry. I think they did a fantastic job and they bring on team members properly. I think that's probably one of the strongest areas that they have is really focusing on training and development. Uh, they have some wonderful programs. But then I wanted to continue to draw it to grow and... And at the same time I was there, the, the St. Regis Ball Harbor was opening. And, yes. you know, I was oh, online yes. looking at videos and trying to understand St. Regis because it was new to Miami. You know, at the time, St. Regis, New York was the main one, but it was mainly, it was very new to the market here. And at the same time, Marco actually coincidentally was the opening general manager. It was an easy decision. And I applied for a job there. And, and I remember my position that I applied for, there was over 250 candidates for that job. You know, I was excited. I thought I had known it all. And going through that interview process, it really, it humbles you because you start to realize how many other people have, whether it's more experience, the same amount of experience, the same passion. And for me, it was, you know, do whatever I can to show them that I was the, I was the guy. And luckily I was chosen for a position I didn't even apply for, which was the guest recognition manager, which essentially was guest relations and overseeing the Butler team. And for me, the whole Butler service was new. I had no idea yes. what doing. You know, I was working in the front office, front desk, PBX, but I did not know anything about Butler service and guest relations or VIP management. So, you know, I was excited, but I was nervous. I didn't know what to expect. And, you know, they shipped me, they, they sent me out to the St. Regis Kauai for a few weeks to try to learn a little bit about the Butler program, because our hotel manager at the time had come from Kauai. So he knew the program well, and he said, I'd like to, to see it here. And so I went out there and started learning a little bit about it. And it was also my first opening. So I didn't know what to expect. I mean, things are extremely challenging, but to me, that's what I enjoy. I, I thrive on the challenge, you know, the unknown, you know, just kind of consistently pushing yourself. And, you know, we were on, I think I started about two and a half, three months before the opening. And we were putting together all the SOPs that was recruiting and I was training all these team members how to be butlers. And it's funny because it's something new to Miami. So nobody on our team was a previous butler. Mm -hmm. So we just chose based on personality, right? The team members that were very engaging, seemed like they were guest focused. They were very hospitable and genuine. And that's how we chose the butler team. And it was one of the biggest talks around the city because I remember we were actually on the cover of the Miami Herald, the butler team. I remember it clear in yeah. the lobby on the, you know, in the middle of the lobby right there. And they showed it on the opening day. And I worked probably about, I moved into the hotel for the opening. So I lived there for about four weeks. 
And I was there from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. every single night for a good month living in the hotel. And the goal was to be there for the team. Again, for me, it was a new hotel, but it was also a new hotel for them, you know, and I wanted to meet every single VIP and be there for every single person and try to take care of every single request. And, you know, honestly, I think that team was one of the, I mean, they had a huge challenge ahead of them and they surpassed every sort of expectation. I mean, you know, we had no turnover on that team for a good three years and, you know, they were just passionate. They loved what they did. They cared about the guest experience, taking care of and servicing these guests. And, you know, we all worked at 200 miles an hour, but supporting each other. You know, it was a great opening team. And, you know, for me, that was very exciting. And, and then, you know, down the road, I think within about a year and a half, maybe, well, I think actually a year, a year into it, um, the director of front office position opened up and, you know, my hotel manager and GM came to me and said, you know, we'd love to offer you this position. And I think that was probably the toughest jobs I've taken at the time. I want to stop because you unpacked a lot and I want to get back to some of these things because you had an awesome journey in transitioning. And, and kind of you said, you mentioned that, which I love hearing is you had a great mentor looking out for you. It sounds like in Marco Selva, who's like, Hey, I'm coming. I want my A team to come with me, but you may have to take a different route than the position right. you have. Sure. And I just want to make. I loved what you all were doing. So I actually interviewed there. So I was part of interviewed. I interviewed with Don Hirsch, I remember. Yes. And he looked at me and he said, we're building the best of the best in the entire world here. You need to take a half step back and go from director of restaurants to managing one of the restaurants. And I was younger back then. My ego was a little bit like, no, I'm not yeah. taking any half step back. But I always watched what was going on there because you did create for listeners five star, five diamond property, like right off the bat from what I recall. And the Butler program, which I did not realize you oversaw, was the, what made it like really the most famous around the city because it didn't exist anywhere. When I was at Mandarin Oriental, like we gave five-star service. We didn't have Butler service, right? So we were like, wow, look at this. So for you, as you're growing in there and doing the opening, was it like that? Was everyone like, hey, it was best of the best. We're all taking a half step back so we can become the best team. Was that really what was happening or was that just a sales pitch to me? No, absolutely was. I mean, either everyone took, at best, a lateral move, if not a step back. I mean, our director of F&B that was there was a very seasoned director of F&B. Executive chef had wonderful experience, top executive chef around the world. Our pastry chef was the number two pastry chef in the world at the mm -hmm. time. And everybody there was chosen for the specific job they were in. It was a carefully picked out team. And I have to be very grateful and I, as I was part of that team because the synergy was there. Everybody was committed. There was nobody that was kind of half in. Everybody was 100% in and putting in every single effort that they had. I mean, we were 100% committed and, and supporting each other. And that was the key to the success is that every department worked well together. It wasn't, I'm going to do good and I'm going to leave them there. You know, we all were there to support each other no matter what. So you're doing great because you said you get promoted. And right. so this is like your first big jump to really oversee, you know, you were overseeing teams, but really to oversee the team in that hotel that sets the guest expectation across the board. What was that like for you when you first took over? Was it like, all right, I could do this? Or was it like, well, I got a lot to learn and what I'm doing? Well, I mean, I think one thing I learned, and funny enough, you mentioned that, is the one thing he told me when he hired me was, you've been promoted quickly. Don't expect that here. All right. And you did. That it. was the first thing he said when he hired me. I said, okay, okay fair enough. I'll trust you when it comes, it comes. And, you know, at the time I actually felt like I was ready for it, but I had no idea what I was getting myself into. You know, I think the challenge going from being that guest recognition manager, overseeing a team to becoming the director of front office, overseeing leaders, especially all leaders that wanted that same position. Right. That's where I really faced my challenge and, you know, having to adjust my approach to support these leaders, that was a big, was a big challenge for me. And, you know, a few months were going in and I thought I was falling apart and Dan kept pushing. He kept pushing harder and harder. And I remember people told him that you're going to break him. And he said, I know his limit. And he kept going. And I'm thankful that he did because it really made me who I am. It made me probably as resilient as I am today. I had to step back, you know, and really look at myself and say, how do I organize myself now? You know, and I had to create a different setup in my office 
to focus on my goals, set dates, timelines, cross it off one at a time. And it just took it one step at a time, you know, because when you're working in that type of environment where you're five star, five diamond and just constantly, you're always on, there's no room to shut off. You know, you don't even have a moment to shut off. So, you know, for me, I had to slow it down a little bit just to see what was the, you know, to focus on what the goals were. And, and, and it worked out well. So if someone's getting into that role, because there's a lot of people who'd make that jump and I see them crash and burn, right? Because right? they're used to telling a team like, this is what you have to do and more line level staff versus leaders who are all aspiring to be leaders above you at that level as well, right? They all have that dream to be a GM. Correct. How do you set yourself up? Was there certain things that you started to learn or read or look out for? Or was it just, hey, I'm going to show them and by actions? What, what was kind of your advice if you were telling someone right now in that first time role? I had to look back and see what it is that I needed from my leader. And it's all about inspiring, you know, and, and finding the way to guide them towards the right path of success. You can be a leader that's going to push hard and just give direction and always feel like you're forcing something, but that's never going to really push them the right way. So for me, it's it's all about how do I guide you? You know, what, what else can we learn today? What can we do together? Ask for feedback. You know, say, what is it that you think will help us do better? Um, what do you suggest? And then, you know, you can give feedback as well, because although we're in the positions that we're in, we don't necessarily know everything. You know, and a lot of it is trial and error. And in order to be able to achieve the results that you want to achieve, it's about finding the medium, right, between what, the, you know, what you want to do and what your team wants to do. How do you achieve it together? You know, they may have a different approach that you're not familiar with or that you haven't seen. So it's always good to involve the team members and, you know, surround yourself with the right people that are open, that are willing to learn and, and grow. And, and I think for me, what I did is just how can I be there for them? You know, what can I do to help them become better? How can I help them make their jobs easier? Essentially, that's what I'm here to do as a leader. So that, that's the approach that I took. So it was really organize yourself, kind of understand what the goal is and find a way to get there. Yeah. So for listeners, if you're in that role, that's great advice. Rewind that last minute. I think you'll find some great piece of advice in there from Saeed. But Saeed, you, you're doing well. You, like you said, you get promoted. You're doing a great job. And then, you know, I guess you started like doing openings. Because another I, opening comes on the horizon. Why don't you tell the listeners, well, how does that decision come that you join Faina opening that hotel and leaving this world-class hotel at the St. Regis? So St. Regis was, was a wonderful experience. I think it was one of the best up to date. And, you know, at the same time, Faina was opening. And I really enjoyed that, like you said, Steve. And, you know, I wanted another challenge. And at the time, coincidentally, our hotel manager, Dan, Marco had left his, his role in the, at the hotel and that was actually going to move down to become the general manager of Faena. So it was me more going with him. You know, I wanted to continue my career with him. You know, I trusted him and, you know, we, we achieved a lot together. So I said, why not do it again? Mm -hmm. and, you know, that moved down here to Faena and I joined as well. And, you know, it was probably one of the most challenging opportunities we've ever had because, you know, with St. Regis, you had a strong name behind you. So with recruitment and resources, it was much easier. You know, it was much more readily available. With Faena, it was a little bit more of a challenge because we were trying to create something that's never been done before. And, you know, it was hard to kind of send the message out to everyone to really to showcase who we really were. So for listeners, set the scene of what Faena is, because a lot of people may not have heard of it if you're not from the areas that they're located. So Faena original, originated by, uh, was, you know, our visionary is Alan Faena. He was based out of Buenos Aires, came in from fashion and created this district in Buenos Aires revolving around art and culture and dining, you know, theater, all about experiences, all in one area. And, you know, it did so well in Buenos Aires that he wanted to bring that magic to Miami, Miami Beach. And he chose an area which was essentially deserted, mid-beach, between 29th and 37th. There's really not much going on here. And there wasn't much traffic. So, you know, we he picked up on pretty much five blocks between 32nd and 37th and wanted to create that same district with world-class dining, theater, cabaret, romance, you know, all of these beautiful experiences in a place that no one really expected it to be. And we brought on celebrity chefs 
you know, great architects and designers. I mean, the collaboration between all of these people really created where we are today. But again, it was still, it was, nobody knew who we were. And when we were opening, the building was still under construction. It had been abandoned for over 15 years. So it was the original Saxony. And we had people based all around the city. We had teams stationed in the Miami Beach Convention Center. Then we had another team stationed in Wynwood at the Ice Palace. Then we had another team stationed in the, the trailers that we had rented on Miami Beach. So, you know, we were all over the city and it was all about recruitment and creating these SOPs and all our, you know, our processes. And it was challenging. I think we were supposed to open with about 650 employees and we were only able to get about to about 280 at the time. Yep. And even opening, we were opening for Art Basel. You know, we had one of the biggest events that year and we still had not entered the hotel. So the first day the employees saw the building was the day we opened. Wow, so you can that's real. It was, it was. And we had to shift all of the reservations at the time, which was the challenge. But, you know, I remember being in the Ice Palace and in the convention center and we used tape to outline what the lobby looked like. So we can say, well, this is where the front office is and this is where this is. So they can kind of envision it. So when they walked into the building, they didn't, you know, we, you know, they, they were completely shocked. So it was definitely a challenge, but I think we had a fantastic team. I mean, everybody that, you know, was part of the team was passionate about Fayena. In order to really be able to thrive in this type of property, you have to really want to be here. You have to live by the same culture, the values, share the same vision, um, because it is not your typical hotel, you know, and, and I know you've seen it, you know, from the daytime to the evening, the property completely transforms, you know, it shifts to a whole different property and, and that's what makes it exciting. You know, we thrive in the evening during the day. It's great. But after 9 PM between nine and 2 AM, that's when this property is in full motion. And, and you have experiences from the theater to the living room, the Saxony bar, you have Los Fuegos, Pau, El Secreto, so many different experiences all going on at one time. So, you know, again, constantly moving and, and finding the right people to, to, to support each other. I love so it. At the time, yes. And so listeners, if you haven't seen it yet, I would recommend getting on their Instagram or on their website because I think you just got awarded like most Instagrammable hotel in the world, we did. which is an unbelievable award. So it really is worth checking out. And if you're in Miami or Miami Beach, you have to come visit. Every time I go in there, you feel like you're walking into a, a luxurious movie set, uh, is how I can put it, right? Well, it's funny you say that because the person who designed the building was Baz Luhrmann, who created, you know, the Titanic, the Great Gatsby, Moulin Rouge. She was a producer. And his wife, Catherine Martin, is the one who designed our uniforms, who's the one who designed the costumes in the movies. So it's actually the perfect way to describe it is that you're, you feel like you're in a movie. I feel it. Every time I walk in there, I feel like it. I feel like I'm being transported. But let's get back onto your story here. So you're there. You're opening. I love that you're putting the, the floor plans together on the floor and like doing walkthroughs, not even in the hotel. That's unbelievable. I couldn't imagine that. I've done two openings and that must have been the most pressure filled first day that you all had. But you, you have a good year run there. And then you're I love these stories of how this goes. And I'm curious to see what happens here. You end up going back to a familiar place. Where do you end up going? So I ended up going back to the St. Regis Ball Harbor. Um, at the time with Faena, you know, we were still going through the renovation. Although we opened, we had to close again to really finish off the rooms. I think we ended up closing twice after we opened. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the St. Regis had uh, called me to come back for a great opportunity. You know, it was a role that I was, you know, looking forward to down the road. Again, I didn't know when I was ready for the role, but... I ended up going back as the, I went back as director of residence, but slowly transitioned into director of rooms, which is what I really enjoyed. I had started off as residences, but, you know, realized that I enjoy the operations. I couldn't be away from a hotel and, and I enjoyed the constant change, the excitement, you know, just the revolving door um, and so many opportunities within the hotels that, you know, I came back, I was in the director of rooms role. But I also like how how was that conversation? Was it a hard conversation to have? Did you look for mentors' advice on doing it to go was, back? Yeah, just, well, Dan Dan was actually here at the time, so it was a little bit hard for him. He knew. Right. Um, I obviously had spoken to him, and you know, to me, it, it it felt like it was the right move. You know, so I felt good about it. 
And that was the most important thing. You know, I was excited. I knew the St. Regis. I remember my experience there and it felt comfortable. You know, it was a new leadership team at the time. They had already gone through two different GMs within that year. Wow. Um, so for me, it was, it was kind of like uncharted territory, but it was a place I was familiar with. And I surprisingly kind of knew it more than most because I had been there longer than them before and I opened it. But it was going through a lot of change. You know, we were going through construction updates. You know, they, you know, my GM actually at the time tasked me to oversee the construction, tasked me to oversee the retail. You know, he came to me and said, I need you to sign all of these retail spaces with different retailers. And I said, well, where do I even begin? You know, I had no idea. I've never signed a retailer. Wait, so you'll figure it out, Sai. Yeah. So I just went around, started calling different vendor retailers in the Bell Harbor shops. And, you know, we started signing contracts and, and agreements. So we leased out all the spaces and, you know, it was really exciting. I, I enjoyed being back there. And again, it was a property I was passionate about that I had opened. So it felt good. And that was your first time being an executive committee member. Correct. What can you tell somebody? Because I've experienced it. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who want to get to that level that are listening to this. What is the difference from being, oh, I'm a director or, you know, a manager of the front office or manager of the outlets? What's the difference getting onto that executive committee le level? You know, it, you're now directly responsible for the decisions that are made, you know, throughout the hotel, the future of the hotel, the, the culture that's created. You know, there's so much more like you have a, a much bigger impact and it's not because of a decision you make, but it's because people will look at you and expect you to be able to make those decisions and they're going to support you. You know, so I think for me being an executive committee member, you know, you have to realize that the team members have a different level of respect for the EC, the executive team or the guidance team or so many different planning committee. I've been on, right. quite, you know, so many different names, but you know, it's, it's how you support them. You, you know, you present yourself in front of the team. You know, you, you're always thinking of what's best for the team and the hotel. You know, for me, that's always been the priority. I always put, look, I always look at the team first, you know, are they happy? Do they have the tools that they need? Do they feel supported? You know, because if, if the team is in a good place and the hotel will naturally just fall into a good place. Mm -hmm. You always have to focus on the culture. And for me, it was always, well, how do we make this a better work environment? You know, how do we focus around the team? That's a great way to look at it, too. Was there something that felt overwhelming at first because you had been going back to a place that you worked? Because I know sometimes I kind of felt that. Like, I went back to a hotel where I used to work. Right. And some people may still see you as the person you were before. Was that something you faced or were you so many new faces that you were okay? There were a lot of new faces, but fortunately, I think, and again, it's all about the relationships you create. You know, I think based on how you treat people, essentially that, that's going to lead to how they treat you as well. So, you know, whether I was front office or director of rooms or wherever position I'm in, essentially you should be treated the same way all the time, you know, and, and that's all based on how you treat people. So I love it. And so you're there, you're back at the St. Regis, you have a great I, run there. And I'm pretty sure I know how this happens and I know your story. And it seems like you're very loyal to the people you work with. Well, you make a change. I do. And you leave uh, a beautiful hotel here in Miami Beach and you go to the Coma Hotels and Resorts, which I'm a fan of. We had Javier Benito on. He's a great guy. So how did you end up at Coma Hotels? So funny enough, after Vienna Dance, our whole GM left to Parakeet, to Como Parakeet. And, you know, I remember when he first went out there, he left shortly after I did it, about a month later. But... He was calling me to, to come out for a role. And I'll be honest, at the time, I was not interested in leaving Miami. You know, I've always been here. This is my home. And I never even considered leaving outside of, you know, especially to another country, but it is still very close. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, he called and he said, listen, you know, would you be interested? I said, no. Very good. So we kept talking. We were in conversations for, you know, for several months. And then I remember he had a director of rooms position that opened up. So he said, listen, it's a lateral move, the same role, just fly out here and let me show you the island. And, and I'll be honest with you, I was like hesitant at first. He had already told me what the compensation package looked like. So I flew wow. out, I flew out to Parakee and, you know, it just felt so surreal at the moment because, you know, I was, you, you fly into Provo, you take a shuttle to a private dock where, you know, the base is. 
And then you take the boat to the island. So you could only enter the island by private boat that was owned by the hotel. Wow. And I'm sitting there next to a very famous actor who's sitting right next to me on the boat. And I'm like, okay, is this actually happening? He's going to the same place I am. And of course, they had pulled all the stops. You know, I land over there. They're like, we have dinner ready for you at the bar. I go to the bar. Another famous celebrity sitting right there across from me, you know, who lives on the island. And, you know, it's just, it, it, it felt surreal. You know, I didn't know where I was anymore. <laughs> and the next day I wake up and, you know, it's a beautiful, you know, Caribbean island. You know, nothing gets, you know, the water is extremely beautiful there. Nature. I mean, it just felt cleaner. Right. And I toured the island. I went around the entire island with Dan. He showed me everything. And I flew back and I texted Dan. I said, listen, you know, I appreciate everything. If you give me these, you know, these this, if you agree to these terms, then I won't negotiate. You have my commitment. And within a few hours, I remember I was at the St. Regis inspecting rooms and I was on the floors and I get an email from him with the offer letter, exactly what I asked for. And I will be honest with you, at that point, I was not expecting to go. And I look at it and I said, I guess I'm moving to Turks and Caicos. <laughs> I mean, that wow. was it. I couldn't, I couldn't go back on my word. And yeah. so, you know, I, I ended up flying out to Parakeet. And, and again, it's, it's a Caribbean island. Uh, for those of you that don't know Parakeet, it's so small that there's no vehicles on the island. We get around on bicycles, you know, and there's nothing there but the hotel and where we live. So for me, coming from Miami, a very busy city, to complete the complete opposite um, was a culture change. I, and, you know, luckily there was a few team members that were there that I was very comfortable with um, and very close with even until now. So it made the transition a little bit easier. And we brought some more people on board that we worked with. So we created a nice little family on the island, which, which made it much easier. But, you know, I'll be honest with you, although... It's a beautiful destination. It wasn't necessarily for me. Um, and yeah. that's why I was there for a short period. I, I waited until my work permit expired. And I let them know that, you know, I wasn't interested in renewing it. And I would just move back to Miami. All right. So if I'm hearing this correctly, Dant called in some celebrities to place them there for you. To convince you. Know, you. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard this a lot. And I've never experienced that as the island and a fever um, that you start getting, especially on the smaller islands where you're. You can't go anywhere and you're on that island, but you decide to go to another island, which is similar. And then speaking, because I've talked to someone who's been on the podcast and David Araya, who was yeah. also working at that hotel was there at the time, actually. And so it's interesting. I'm curious to hear what that was like for you um, going there. So I ended up coming back to Miami. I, I didn't have anything lined up. You know, I took the time to spend it with my family, my friends, you know, just traveled a little bit. And I was looking at different options. There was a few within Miami. There was a few outside of, of Florida. But then funny enough, I was speaking with David Araya, that you mentioned his name, and he was based at the beach resort on Lanai. And they had a position open for Coele, which is the other retreat in the city, which was closed and looking to reopen. So he had, you know, mentioned that we talked about the opportunity you know, he sounded very excited about it. And he, you know, he kind of helped support in that decision of me going to move to Lanai. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, before I moved there, I got on Google Maps and I pretty much drove around the island from the streets on the Google view. And mm -hmm. I wanted to see what it was like. And they had at least, so Lanai would consisted of only 3,000 people. You know, it was a very small island. It was owned by... Larry Ellison, who owns the entire island, including the Four Seasons. So it's either you worked for Larry Ellison's hotels or you worked for his company or one of the smaller privately owned restaurants or supermarkets. And they made a joke. They called me and they said, well, you lived on a private island. How do you feel about this one? And I said, well, you have four restaurants. That's four more restaurants than we had over there. So I feel like I'm already going back to the city. And it was it was a perfect you know destination for me to go to after Parrot Key. So you know, the, the opportunity came up and I ended up moving to Lanai as the resort manager. And at the same time, David had moved to Houston or Austin, I think it was. Mm -hmm. So I was supporting the beach resort because the opening had, you know, was still far away for, for my property. So I was kind of working both. And, you know, I'll tell you that island is probably one of the most special experiences I've had in my life. 
for me, it wasn't the island fever. It was, I never wanted to leave the island. I actually preferred to stay on that island. It had everything I needed, um, but it was the people that made it special. You know, the the experience of living in a place like that is is truly unique. I mean, I think everybody has to do it once in their life. And I think because of that, I, I will probably retire on an island. See, my brother goes all the time. He's actually going next month with my parents. I've never been. Okay. I would love to go and see like, that experience. But when you're there, is it like what you see in the movies? It's like this beautiful island. Everyone's there having usually a good time. Is that what you experienced? Or is it that the locals are a little challenging? Like, how did you feel when you were there? No, actually, it was the, the opposite. For me, everybody was warm and welcoming. So uh, Lanai actually is, it was known as the Pineapple Island, which we all know the pineapple and hospitality. And Dole pineapples were actually all manufactured there until Murdoch sold the island to Larry Ellison. So naturally, I think everybody on that island was hospitable. You know, they were very warm and welcoming. I think if you look at every house, it's within feet of the next house. And we had no AC over there. So everybody's windows were always open. So you could always hear the conversations. Wow. And, you know, everybody was very warm, welcoming. If you needed something, somebody on that island would give it to you right away. You know, they would give you the last, you know, meal they had in their house. If, if it meant that it was the only meal you were going to eat or you know, if someone needed a ride here, then they would drive you. They would go out of their way to, to make sure they accommodate you. And for me, that's what made it special. It was it was the people. It was nature. You know, it was the quality of life. You know, that like the difference between Parakee and Lanai was Lanai felt like a home. You know, you could create a home there. Um, Parakee, it felt like you were there for work. And that was it. You were there to work all day. Um, and the few hours you get to go home, mm -hmm. you know, you're surrounded by everyone as well, which is great. But again, it's always work. With Lanai, you had the ability to disconnect a little bit, although it was a small island, but you were able to, you know, enjoy and take advantage of those kind of experiences like being in Hawaii and off-roading or, you know, um, zip lining and or just, ex you know, just exploring all the different islands. I think that to me made it very special. Yeah, it sounds like a beautiful culture and just a, a nice lifestyle to have for that, you know, year and a half that you were there. It sounds like a beautiful place. But before we jump to the next part of your career, I'm curious because not many people have the experience that you have of working for Four Seasons, Como, Baena, uh, St. Regis, Ritz-Carlton, all these ultra luxury companies. Do you see it as something where they're all unique or are they all pushing at a certain high level that, yeah, the words might be different, but we're all striving for the best, or is it completely different at each place? You know, I, I obviously working with Carlton St. Regis, buying uh, four seasons, I wanted to experience different cultures and see what everybody was about. And, you know, at the time when I was looking at four seasons, you know, four seasons is, is four seasons. You expect yeah. the best. And yeah, uh, four seasons, I've been rejected twice. We're going to let that on the record there. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not easy. I mean, and I know I was chosen because it was a remote island. So, you know, trust me, if I would have applied in Miami, I think it would have been a different um, outcome. But, you know, I think what I know, what I realized after moving to all these different companies and cultures, the only thing that matters is the people you surround yourself with because you create the culture. You know, you can have Four Seasons influence or St. Regis influence, but at the end of the day, it's the people on the property that are, go that are going to make the difference. And... And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. And, and that's what will lead into our yes. next. <laughs> like I said, the people is what matters. And I, I'm excited to hear this part of the story. So you're living a beautiful life in Hawaii, all the neighbors, kumbaya, living the life. How do you end up back in Miami at a very different type of product? I remember I was you know, walking around the island that day and I get a phone call from someone who we spoke about earlier, Marco Silva. And you know, he calls me and says, you know, he was checking in. He said, Saeed Hoval as well. And he said, I can't give you much information, but I'm going back into, I'm joining a hotel group. I can't tell you who it is or what the pay will look like, but I would want to know if you would be my number two. And, you know, I'm over here in Hawaii at the Four Seasons. And without hesitation, I responded to him, help me in. And that was it. You know, because that's how much trust I have in him. And he called me two weeks later and said, I'm joining the SLS Brickle, SLS Lux. 
in Miami. And I want you to be my hotel manager overseeing the, both those properties. And I said, okay, I'm in. And at the time, it was a significant pay cut going from Hawaii to Miami. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously different product, different rates, you know, and uh, probably resources. But, you know, I didn't question it. I didn't negotiate. I didn't ask for anything. I said, if this is what Marco is giving me, I know it's the best that he can give me. So I'm more than happy to be a part of the team. And, you know, he said, how much time do you need? I said, I need to finish off the new year. You know, I think it was... We were probably speaking in October, November. So I needed to give a good two months to finish off the New Year's. Right. Um, because it was very big in, in the islands in Hawaii. And I told him, I'll be on the first plane on January 7th. And, you know, I finished off the holidays, flew back to Miami. I remember I flew in on a Saturday and I started work on Monday. <laughs> you didn't take and, a week? You should have taken no, a week, man. I think, a week. I think the, the, the trip was longer than the weekend that I had. You know, I joined Marco and we came back and... You know, timing wise, it happened to be right before, you know, the pandemic and, and everything that we had to go through. So, yeah, you hit it right, right on the dot. You came January 2020 and March 2020, our whole world was shaken up. Absolutely. But what was it like getting that call? Because this is someone you took advice from at the very beginning of your career, who was the most senior leader when you were working at Ritz-Carlton. Was it cool to get that phone call and be like, wow, all right, I'm going to actually be the number two to the guy that I was looking up to? You know, it felt cool, but I was, ne I've never been so nervous. You know, I was like, what if I let him down? I've never been this close to him in terms of reporting structure. And, you know, I know how successful and everything that he's achieved. And I was like, well, what if I don't live up to what he expects? And that's what made me nervous. I mean, I was, I was freaking out, <laughs> but I knew I wanted to be there with him. And that's, you know, to me, that was the challenge. And I think, the biggest thing that I've done in my career is I've always taken the more challenging position. You know, I will accept it and, you know, success or, success or failure, you know, at the end of the day, it's all experiences and you won't know until you try it. And I think that's why I decided to come back and I figured there's nobody better to learn from than him. And was that the case? Did you feel like that? Absolutely. At the time, the SLS Brickle and Lux were, were struggling. You know, it was a tough market yeah. before we arrived. and you know, those were two properties that needed a lot of help. And honestly, he was the right leader and he was building the right team to get them to where they needed to be. And with COVID happening and the industry kind of shutting down, the advantage we had is we found a way to keep the hotel open. You had residences, right? Right. We have the residences and we were able to keep SLS Brickle open, which gave us an advantage over everyone else. You know, we were working while everybody was at home. You know, we started planning post-COVID while everybody was still transitioning back to plan. So, you know, we had a head start. We had a head start. And as soon as the city reopened, we were already at 100 miles an hour. You know, we were slowly building up our marketing and, and promoting our property. And, you know, we were the, one of the first ones to start having a DJ live stream on the pool deck when the hotel was closed, you know. And I remember we had an eight-hour DJ performance. Edodura was a sponsor. We had DJ Irie there. And it was live streamed for eight hours and it was all over the internet. And, um, you know, I think we started hiring team members to start selling weddings because we knew there was going to be a big wedding push. And we probably booked more weddings than anybody else because we were the only venue that was open. So for me, it was really exciting. You know, I got to see a lot of how Marco looks at, you know, and approaches situations. And, you know, he taught me a lot. I think for me, that was probably one of the most gratifying experiences I've had. I mean, he's not only a mentor to me, but it's someone I really look up to. But, I, you know, I, I mean, he's a very close friend. You know, it's someone I, I, I really respect. I look up to and, you know, he's always going to be there. And, and I think that's why I really enjoyed that, that time is because, you know, we built a much stronger relationship than we ever had. You know, we were able to really put SLS Brickle and Lux on the map. You know, we had a fantastic team. I will tell you, I mean, I've never seen a team so committed because keep in mind, we never shut down. So when the city reopened at 200 miles an hour, everybody was coming back from, you know, being able to work hybrid or rest days. Our team was already working five days a week and then they went to seven days a week. So, you know, they, they, their perseverance really showed during that time. A funny story because Marco, you know, I remember he called me one night and, and he says, you know, are you going to be at the hotel? It was a Saturday night. 
And I said, no, I don't think I, ha- I will be there tonight. I have something to take care of tonight. And I was like, is everything okay? And he goes, no, everything's fine. You know, just wanted to see if you wanted to grab a drink or something. I said, no big deal. And then the next morning I wake up and I look at my cell phone. It was Sunday morning and I get a text from Marco. How was your night? What are you doing today? And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. what's going on here? Yeah, what's happening? Yeah, so I give him a call and he's like, you know, do you want to go grab breakfast? And I said, no, let's go grab yeah. breakfast. He's like, well, I'll come over to your area. And at that point, I'm like, okay, Marco is driving over here. Yeah. Something's going down. And, you know, I get ready real quickly. You know, I put on some clothes and I and I go down to see Marco. And, you know, this is in the Midtown area. And we start, you know, a small talk, just, you know, talking about a few things until we were able to get a table. And then he looked at me and he's like, I'm leaving. I've resigned. And I said, well, I figured. He goes, well, why did you figure? I was like, Marco, it's Sunday morning. Either you're firing me or you were resigning. Like, it's one of the two <laughs> So we sit there, we have a great conversation. He's telling me he's moving on to a, you know, much a great opportunity uh, that he was taking on. And it could potentially mean that I would move into, you know, the role of the general manager at the property. So I, I kind of learned this probably when I was at the St. Regis the second time is, you know, at that point, I, I didn't really have, I didn't set timelines or anything for my next move. It was all about the move happening at the right time. And when it was the right time, it would, it would come, you know, I, I never look for a job or the next position or, you know, say I need to be in this role by this amount of time to me, when it comes, it comes. And that's, that's what it should be happening. So Marco kept saying to me throughout the year, you know, you'll be the general manager, you'll be the general manager. And I always told him, listen, I'm not in a rush. I'm learning. I'm enjoying, I'm in a good place. As long as you're enjoying what you're doing then you're never looking for that next move. And it happened at that time. And it was a perfect time. I remember sitting in the office the next day on Monday and the COO calling me and offering me the job right off the bat. You know, it didn't require any interviews. I didn't meet with anyone. The owners already knew who I was. Uh, So it made the decision a little bit easier for them. And I was put in that role as general manager. And I think being at those two hotels, I think that was the perfect opportunity for me to take on that role because... I I already knew the hotels. I knew them inside out. I knew the owners, the structure. Um, So it made it a little bit of an easier transition. So what was it like that first day when you became general manager and you sit at that that desk in that chair? Was it something you reflect on? Like, wow, I actually, I made it. I set this goal to kind of get to this role. Or was it like, all right, I've been here. Like, all right, let's go. Well, I looked and I said, I don't know what to do now. (laughs) Like, what do I do next? No, I'm kidding. But, uh, you know, I think for me it was more, okay, so now... How do we continue to move forward? You know, now it's on me. You know, I'm responsible for the results. You know, I'm the one that has to report back because obviously going up in operations, it's exciting. The best part of your job is being out there with the team and with the guests and focusing on service. And, you know, obviously in certain roles, you know, in general manager, you have to report back. You know, you're on the phone with attorneys, with banks, with owners, and the role shifts a little bit. But the most important thing is finding time to be able to connect with what brought you here, you know, and that's the team, the operations, being out there, you know, and and always kind of being involved to an extent, not over-involving, but always being aware and and supporting as much as you can, because essentially that's what we enjoy the most. Yeah. So how do you create your vision without kind of, like you said, overreaching and like handicapping your leaders? Is there something you found that worked for you there? You know, I think at the time, because I knew the operations very well, you know, I had to bring on a whole new team. You know, I, I changed the structure a little bit after. So, you know, I brought on a new person to oversee rooms and a new person to oversee Lux and another person for FMB. So it was more, how do you support all of you? Like, how can mm-hmm. I be there for you? And they felt comfortable coming and bringing up all the different ideas and, and just kind of talking it out. So for me, it was a little bit easier because I built that team. I was part of that team that, you know, to hire them. So we had a good relationship. And it wasn't me trying to overstep and jump into an operation that I wasn't invited to. It was me being a part of the team that I was already a part of, just in a different capacity. No, you did a great job there. You could feel the difference, especially when you started arriving, that everything started to elevate. I had been there a couple of times prior and after, and I didn't know you at the time, but I could see the difference. Like we see like, all right, these guys came in here and are making changes. So you could see that it was working and you're doing really well. And I love, you know, the story keeps evolving, but comes back to the familiar place. You decide to make a move. Do they come find you? How do you end up back 
in your role as general manager now of Bina? So when I first moved back to Miami, actually Scott Garrity, who was the CEO of Bina, and Millie, who's the HR director, both called me and said, you're in Miami, would you consider coming back to Bina? And I remember this was like my first couple months back. And I said, this actually it was before COVID. It was like my first month. I said, Marco's the one who brought me here. I'm committed to Marco, but thank you. And we left it. And then a year later, I get a call again saying, would you be interested in coming now? We have a great opportunity for you. And this was when I was hotel manager. And it was also for a hotel manager position. But he would transition down the road to the general manager. So I remember going into Marco's office and I said, Marco, what do you think? And he says, you're not leaving. I said, okay. And I trusted him. <laughs> and I walked out. <laughs> and I told Scott at the time, I said, listen, I appreciate the offer. It may not be the right time. But, you know, we always kept in contact. Obviously, when Marco left, I became general manager. You know, things had changed. And coincidentally, that time, we be, we fell under the same management company under Accor. So Accor bought SVE, and Accor also became the management company for Faena. That's um, right. I forgot about that. So we had a lot of the same contacts. So at the time, you know, I was already general manager, and... Scott called my COO at the time and said, I'm interested in speaking to Saeed. Would this be okay? And they said, if Saeed is okay with it, then we're okay with it. And that's how it happened. And, and you know, Scott and I would always have our breakfast every couple months at Enriqueta's over by, you know, where, where you are now in, in that Winwood area. And we would always catch up and just kind of see what's happening within the properties. And, you know, he came to me and said, I'm, you know, I'd like to bring you on a general manager and we have to look at transition dates, so on and so forth. What are you looking for? And I said, I'm not in a rush. You know, I'm in a great place. Property is doing well. Team is fantastic. You know, when you need me, you let me know. And we left it. And I'll be honest with you, Scott and I were probably chatting about this role for a good seven months. Wow. And again, it's for me, it was when it's the right time, it'll come. Mm -hmm. And things were accelerating with our development with openings and Scott was traveling a lot. And we had kind of reached a milestone at the SLS where I was able to walk away and they pretty much set a start date and, and I moved in here in February. You know, I started in late February, early March and came back to this property. And what really was exciting about it was coming back and seeing everything that we created the first time and really remembering the vision and, you know, the values and everything. And, and now to me, that's the main focus is really recreating what we did in the opening team, because, you know, we all know how busy Miami was the last two years. And, mm -hmm. you know, at this point now is the time for us to catch up and really focus on the basics, you know, the principles that we, we follow. And I think for me, that's what's exciting is, is coming back to this beautiful property, you know, um, being able to offer such unique experiences, but now really coming at it from a different approach and focusing on the team and the culture, which will transcend into the services and the experiences that we create. No, I love that you're back there. And it's cool because you're, it's right. You opened that place, right? Eight years prior, you were helping plan it and it opened. And so really seven years have gone between. So amazing what you've accomplished in seven years. I'm excited to see what happens in the next seven years, but now <laughs> you're there. And as an outsider, Fina was always cool. It was very fun, but I think maybe had lost a little bit of the luster or the magic. And not to say anything was going wrong there, but how are you bringing that back now, right? Because I think that's a big focus and I can see it since you've taken over about four or five months ago that you're starting to see a little bit more action and name of your hotel out in the market. You know, I think it's really bringing back what our main, like what inspired us from before. You know, I think, you know, everybody got so busy. We were just focused on execution and providing, you know, hospitality, luxury hospitality service. But just focusing on what our inspiration was with Alan Faena and his vision and what the district truly is, because people look at us and think it's just a hotel. But when they really learn about the, the, the district and why it came to be what it is, that's inspirational. I mean, how many other hotels in Miami have five blocks? We don't look at ourselves as just a hotel. We look at it as a district of unique offerings and experiences and, you know, seeing the theater and the cabaret show and going across the street to the forum and seeing one of the most beautiful weddings you've ever witnessed. And knowing that we have so many different avenues to create memorable experiences and just making sure the team sees that. I think that's what's important is, is really sharing who we are 
and and where we come from. And for me, it's it's the team having conversations with everyone. You know, we're recreating the values and similar to a credo card that Rich Carlton offers and Im improving the back of house area. So that way, everywhere you walk, you see where the vision came from and what inspires us. And, you know, I even had Alan Faeda, who, you know, loves to share his vision, come and speak to the leadership team. Because when you see someone like that, it does give you a different set of inspiration. You know, knowing why he started this and what he wanted to achieve. Now he's able to share it with you, kind of drive the team to push even harder. So for me, you know, we brought back quite a few team members from the opening, which has been great. You know, we've had a big improvement to the team uh, over the last few months, I think, just in terms of structure and support, um, but just really more hands-on leadership support that just needs to be there for the, the team members. I love it. And for listeners, I was just there. I was lucky enough to have dinner at El Secreto, an Omakasa style restaurant to have their six seats, ultra luxury some of the best fish flown in from Japan daily. Uh, we're actually gonna make a video about that. It's in production right now. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, it'll be up on the website. We'll be sharing it with everyone, but really an experience you should definitely try and book if you have the opportunity. There's a big waiting list, but try to get on that reservation list. So Saeed, I'm not asking for your five-year plan, but for the next 12, 24 months, what are you most excited about on what you're working on? For me, I think just really the passion. I would like to see everyone here passionate about what they're doing, excited to come into work because at the end of the day, you know, we have a wonderful product. The product is there. The experiences are set. I enjoy seeing team members thrive in what they do and, and enjoy what they do. That's what makes me enjoy what I do. I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine and, and I left the cafeteria and we all work in the industry. We know how, you know, the employee cafeterias are, but I was leaving and I said, you know, I truly love what I do and I love this job. And I said, and tell me how many people say that after walking out of the employee cafeteria. But that's because I get to see the people that I work with and I get to engage with them. And for me, that's what drives me. And, and I hope that over the next 12 to 24 months, that essentially the entire team feels the same way. And we all work alongside each other. We all come into work passionate about what we do, but mainly because we enjoy it, not for anything else. I think it's a great vision. And with your attitude and mentality, I'm ready. I'm ready to work. <laughs> so, yeah, it sounds like you've got to build a great team there. And you've been around the world, literally. You've been all these fantastic hotels. If young Saeed was starting today as a guest service agent on your team, what advice would you give him if he came into your office and said, I want to get to where you are? I would focus on development. You know, learn as much as you can. As you grow into your career, a lot of times when you move quickly, you may skip a few beats. And for me, I think the most important thing was asking the right questions being committed, having the right support, and just being passionate about it. You know, I think for me, I enjoy it. And that's why I continue to do what I do and find what drives you and follow that. Promotions, salary, all of that will come down the road. Don't push for that because when the right opportunity comes, it'll come at the right time. And do what you can in the moment that you're in to absorb as much as you can. For me, that, that I think is key because our industry is very complicated. You know, it's not black and white. It's, it's very fluid. Things do change. So the more you know, the more it'll make it easier for you to, to be successful and to feel more comfortable in your roles. And that's great advice for anybody listening. And Saeed, I know you've definitely motivated a lot of people listening. So if anyone wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way they can do that? I'm on LinkedIn. You're more than welcome to reach out to me there. Happy to respond by email if you'd like. And my email is essentially my first initial last name, S-H-A-Y-K-A-L at Payana.com. But always available for any conversations or here to support any way that I can. And I can tell you listeners, one of the best hoteliers in the country just shared his story with us, gave us great advice. Saeed, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. I know it's uh, going to mean a lot to the listeners. I'm very grateful that you spent this time with us. No, thank you for, for having me on the show, Steve, and I appreciate everything you're doing for the industry. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. 
Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.